day, and we've got a little bit of a special treat for you. Um, I love being a part of the Assemblies of God. Um, we've shared in the past, if you've ever taken our partnership class, we've talked about the formation of the Assemblies of God, and the reason that it was founded was to become the, the greatest, uh, it was for the sake of the greatest evangelization of the world that anyone has ever seen. And that's happening right now. In the Assemblies of God worldwide, um, it's exploding. People are hearing the gospel, people are coming to faith, and people are answering the call to go into parts of the world that they're not even supposed to be in. We partner with global partners that uh, we put in front of you and shared with you some of their stories, and some of those are, them are in places where um, their lives are on the line, literally, because of the, the closed parts of those countries, and they're there. And today, we have missionaries in our service that we have not supported as, as far as a global partner, but they're missionaries in the Assemblies of God. And the thing that I love about it is because we're in the Assemblies of God, um, I feel like we're already partners. And so that's the cool thing is even before you meet people, um, you've already partnered with them because of your partnership together in the kingdom uh, and in the Assemblies of God and what we're doing. And uh, Ryan and Amy Jacobs have served as music and fine arts pastors for a number of years, lead pastors for a number of years. They have two church plants behind their belt, but somewhere around 2017, I think it was, um, the Lord put on their hearts to respond to the call to missions. And so in 2019, they landed in Malawi, and they have been serving the church there, raising up and training and equipping pastors and leaders in the church, and they are our new friends. They're our friends because their son, his name is Ben, has decided he wants to spend the rest of his life with our daughter, Madeline. And we were just reminiscing last night about all the, when he first came to visit and all the graduation parties we went to and how many times at those parties guys would come up to me and be like, do we like him? <laughs> and so I love that you have her back. <laughs> but we do like him. And uh, because we like him, we know that we love the family that he comes from. And so because Ryan and Amy were going to be in service with us today, I asked him to come and uh, share just a, an introduction to what they do and how we can partner with them, whether that's um, monthly support or just prayer and partnership. You never know what God is going to birth in your hearts. And so I wanted them to be able to share with us uh, what God has called them to do and what they're doing and what God is doing in Malawi. And so would you welcome Ryan Jacobs as he comes this morning? You got to keep clapping. Wow, good morning, church. What a joy it is to be with you today. And thank you, Pastor Tom and Christy, for your warm welcome of us and of our son. It is a blessing to finally have a daughter coming into our family because we only have boys. And so, um, Madeline, we are excited to welcome you and about what God is going to do in your and Ben's life together. So, God bless you too. Let me share what has become a life verse for our family. It's found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. The Bible says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And part of that whole world is Africa. Let me share with you a little bit about Africa. Imagine a land that is 11.7 million square miles. To put it into perspective, the United States is 3.7 million square miles. So if we put the United States onto the continent of Africa, it's going to look something like this next picture. In fact, we could take the following countries, the United States, Spain, Belgium, France, the Netherlands, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, India, the United Kingdom, China, Japan, and most of Eastern Europe, and fit it all on the continent of Africa. It's a land of 54 countries, speaking 1,500 different languages, 1.2 billion people. This is Africa. And Africa was once known as the Dark Continent. 
But today, Africa has seen a great light. An amazing, amazing revival has been happening in Africa over the last 20 years, where we have been planting 50 new churches every year for 20 years, so that today, 75,000 Assemblies of God churches are on the continent of Africa. We have 18 million believers, where 20 years ago, there were 2 million believers. God is moving shining the light in the dark continent of Africa. But the question I have for you is, who is going to lead all of these churches? Obviously, we think, well, a pastor should lead them, right? Well, imagine the beginnings of your church, people coming to the Lord here in Huron, and you decide a church needs to be planted. And the church is planted, but who is going to pastor them? If there is no person here, who will train the new believers? Who will disciple the believers, and build the kingdom of God here in Huron. Well, there is a harvest of souls happening in Africa. And without a trained pastor, without a shepherd, what is going to happen to all of these believers coming to know Jesus? Jesus himself addressed this in the book of Matthew chapter 9. The Bible says that he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. We believe that spirit-filled, biblically trained leaders are the hope for the church in Africa. And my family has been called to be part of the solution. Because today, 60% of our African pastors have no theological training whatsoever. But my family has been called to move to Africa, to invest our lives and our experiences into the lives of Africans, to train them to be the most effective pastors they can be, because we believe that healthy pastors plant healthy churches who disciple healthy Christians. There's another side to the story in Africa today, and it's represented by the number 867. That is the number of unreached people groups on the continent of Africa. An unreached people group is a recognized tribe or language that has no adequate presentation of the gospel in their language. There are not enough Christians among them to be able to evangelize other people within their own tribe. They're an unreached people group. And in Africa, 867 of those groups is 230 million people. Imagine 230 million people today living in spiritual darkness, No presentation of the gospel. They've never heard Jesus loves you. They don't know there's a heaven. They don't know there's a hell. And so our question is, how can we reach them? How can we make the unreached reached? Well, imagine how many American pastors would we need to send to Africa to reach 230 million people? We'd probably have to send all of them. And then what will happen to the church in America? How long would it take Americans to adequately learn the 1,500 languages to be able to preach and share the gospel in their heart language? That's not a very effective strategy. So what we have asked ourselves is, what if we could train Africans to reach Africans? Africans that know the language, that know the culture, that can quickly find the people of influence in their tribes, that can plant the African church among the African people. What if we could do that? And that is the way that we're reaching the continent of Africa. The good news is in the midst of this major need is we have 14,000 Africans all across the continent who have said yes to the call of God. Men and women who said, I will go. I will plant the church. I will share Jesus with my neighbors. And my family has been called to be a part of mentoring and training them to plant the African church among the African people. The Assemblies of God facilitates pastoral training centers all across the continent. And one of those is in the country of Malawi. And that's where my family has moved. Malawi is in the southeast part of the continent. And it is also experiencing a tremendous revival. In 1992, We had 140 Assemblies of God churches in the entire country. Today, there's over 2,500 churches. For the last 20 years, Malawians have been planting about 85 churches every year for 28 years. But the challenge remains. 
we've not sufficiently trained enough pastors for this harvest. We have less missionary trainers in Africa today than we did 20 years ago before this revival began. Malawi has a tremendous need for missionaries. Before we arrived in 2019, we had no missionaries to train pastors in Malawi for over five years. But our family decided to say yes to the call of God and invest our lives in the lives of Malawian pastors and church planters. I want to share with you a video so you can see what our home looks like. You can see Malawi, and you'll also see many of our students if that video is able to be shown. My name is Bartholomew, and this is Northern Cameroon, where you will find 15 people groups who have not yet been reached with the gospel. They have never heard his story, known his forgiveness, or witnessed his wonders. Instead, they have lived in darkness and in fear of death, always, for generations uncounted. They have names like the Shua, Bagara, Boduma, and Turku, and they are desperately lost. Daily, I live with two questions. How will they hear about Jesus if no one is sent to them? And how can one be sent without proper training? Here is the solution. My school, it is a Bible school for church planters. We are learning to plant new churches and make disciples. From this school, 100 of us go out to surrounding villages to plant new churches. Already, we have a harvest among some of the tribes. This is my church. It is in a village you won't find on any map. When I found it, there were no believers, only those who worshipped idols or followed Allah. I cried out to God, Here, this is the place. These are the people. Will you help me plant your church? God moved immediately. Look at them. Jesus has saved them. Some used to pray to idols or Allah. Now they serve Jesus. Even though they struggle in poverty and life is very hard, they feast on the goodness of God and the peace of knowing Jesus. Because of what I am learning in the church planting school, I can better minister to and disciple these people, but I have much more to learn. That's why our church planting school is so important to us in Northern Cameroon. Without this school, we could not train enough church planters to reach these 15 unreached tribes. We live on a great spiritual frontier in Cameroon. There is much to be done. So many villages need a witness of Jesus. Africa's Hope shares our church planting vision for Northern Cameroon. They promise to tell the churches in America about what is happening here. We say thank you. Your actions will help plant more churches. The best way to reach 15 people groups is to train and send more church planters like me. This is a journey worth taking. In Africa, we say, travel alone and you will go fast. But travel together and we will go far. Let's go far together. I, Pastor Bartholomew, and these hundred others want to go reach the Korba, the Fulani, and many others. But we need your help. Will you help plant more churches among these people in Northern Cameroon? As you saw in the video, this is our training center in Cameroon. And uh, it's one of our neighboring countries. This is exactly what we're doing in Malawi, training pastors and church planters to go into places that you or I will never be able to go, to learn languages that would be very difficult for you and I to learn. 
and to plant the African church among Africans. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world to all nations, and then the end will come. And my family has been called to move to Africa, and we are responding to the call to invest our lives into the lives of Africans. The last slide that I have for you is a way for you to connect with us. We're asking for anybody who would like to be a part of our prayer team. You can connect with us on our Facebook group through our email addresses that are there. But we desperately need prayer because without the Holy Spirit and without God's work, we would not be able to do what we do. Just a couple of weeks ago, Amy and I found ourselves in one of the more frightening, precarious positions that we've experienced in Malawi. We had gone to a store in the middle of the town where we live, and suddenly a riot just materialized out of nowhere. We were surrounded by rioters. They were throwing bricks through the doors and windows of the store we were kind of hunkered down in. We didn't know what was going to happen. For about an hour, we were um, hiding in this area, just saying, praying, God, help us through this, help us know what to do, help us know when it's okay for us to leave. Finally, everything um, calmed down, and we were able to return home, and we made it home safe. The very next day, we received a, Amy received a call from one of our partners, and she said, are you guys okay? Because yesterday, at 11 o'clock your time, I had this incredible burden to pray for you, and I didn't, I didn't know why. And that's what God does is he places a burden of prayer on people. A name comes into your mind, and you're not sure why, and this partner prayed for us. And that burden of prayer is what we needed at that time for our safety. And we would be honored if any of you would be willing to be a part of that prayer ministry in our mission to Malawi. You can connect with us on our social media and through our email address. And we can talk with you after service as well. We would love to share with you more about who we are and what God is doing. God bless you. It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you so much, Pastor Tom. All right. Thanks, Ryan, for sharing. If you want to leave that screen up for just a second, if you want to take a picture of it and uh, have that, or if you want to jot that information down, I do encourage you to connect uh, with them and uh, in some way um, partner with them through prayer or through giving. We have put a basket in the back. If you want to partner um, in giving today, you can drop an offering in there. You can also give online, texting 84321 or through Church Center. Um, it's the, there are two gift options. Gift gifts, guest speaker is the one that you would choose to give in the global outreach offering. And so if you want to do that today, uh, we sure invite you to do that. All right, well, let's dive into today. Um, today is actually going to be the beginning of at least two, maybe three uh, weeks where I told you the last time we were going to talk about this idea of Sabbath. We've been in a, a study since the month of October that is based on a book by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted. And the book, The Life You've Always Wanted, is about spiritual disciplines and how we are supposed to use spiritual disciplines to live out the life that God has always intended us to live. Jesus came to restore us to relationship with the Father, to restore creation back to what God originally designed. And we are given these spiritual disciplines to, to help us live out that life in our daily lives. And so we talked about the, the practice of celebration through the month of November, and we learned how important it is to get into the habit of celebrating and the, the routine of celebrating. And now in December, um, in one of the busiest months of the year, we're talking about the practice of slowing. And a few weeks ago, I, we introduced the chapter that John gives us, and we talked about hurry sickness, some of the symptoms of hurry sickness, the way that our culture actually helps us to choose to speed up. In fact, the word slow in our culture is actually a negative thing. I mean, it's a, if you're slow when it comes to learning, that's not a positive trait. If you're slow in a service of re at a restaurant, that's not a positive trait. So the idea of slowing down is not perceived in our culture as 
a positive thing. But how many of us know when we hurry, we miss things? I mean, when we make mistakes, many times it's because we were reading quickly and we didn't pick up the whole thing. How many of our responses to a text message or to a post on social media is because we just quickly read something and then responded before we actually processed and really read what was there and then responded? And so this idea of slowing is super important. And we talked about solitude, slowing, and Sabbath. And I gave two resources the last time that I spoke to you, um, two books, and they're actually also version Bible reading plans. One is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, the other Addicted to Busy by Brady Boyd. And um, the version Bible reading plans really were what I was recommending as a kind of a resource for us to process and to think about this idea of slowing. And then last week, um, Christina did a fabulous job of filling in while we were in the cities, uh, visiting our kids and going to a choir concert that was over there and preached a sermon to us called, He Has to Be Enough. And it's interesting because when she, um, as soon as she, I, I told her what I was preaching on, like the Sabbath, and she's like, oh, I won't preach on the Sabbath. But then I texted her after her sermon and I said, you stepped all over the Sabbath in your message. And she's like, well, only a little bit. Um, but she did way more than she even realizes. And today, um, I want to start looking at this concept of Sabbath. Rabbinic scholars or rabbinic tradition tells us that every word of Scripture has 70 faces and 600,000 meanings. Literally, every word of Scripture is almost like a kaleidoscope that you can uh, if you think of Psalm 1, where we're, we're told to look intently into the law and to meditate on it day and night. And rabbis, rabbinic tradition, would teach us that you can continue to turn the scripture and continue to look at it and never actually exhaust all of the meaning that's found in God's word. I mean, it brings the idea that the word of God is living and active to life almost. And as we look at the Sabbath, I don't know what your understanding of the Sabbath is, but I want us to look at three specific words, stop, look, and listen. Stop, look, and listen. I thought that was an appropriate title um, because, you know, when you come to the railroad crossing, we're told to stop, look, and listen. Don't be in a hurry. Make sure there's not a train coming. And I'm sure we've all heard a story or seen an accident report of someone that just didn't see the train, didn't stop, look, and listen. And I want us to, at least today, talk about this idea of stop. And I use the word stop because the word Sabbath, the word Shabbat in the Hebrew, actually means stop, cease. We translate it rest, and obviously if you stop, you rest, and we're going to start to look at that. But I want to start in the book of Romans, chapter 14. I don't know what your understanding, again, of Sabbath is, but... Maybe if you've been in church for a while, you, you've been taught that remember the Sabbath day is one of the Ten Commandments, and um, this concept of Sabbath, of taking a day off or a day of rest where there's no work, um, was something the Jews were actually commanded to do. So every Friday night at sundown, we'll talk about that in a second, all the way through till the next sundown on Saturday was the Sabbath, and they weren't to work, they were to rest. And they were commanded to do that in Exodus chapter 20, but they were introduced to the concept of Sabbath in Exodus chapter 16. So, of course, the question in our day today is, do we need to practice the Sabbath? Should we practice a day of rest? Should we practice a day where we don't do anything? And I guarantee that most of us don't practice a Sabbath. For one, we actually don't Sabbath on Friday evening to Saturday evening. We call Sunday like our Sabbath day or our day of rest. It's our day of worship. And we don't actually practice it the way that the Jews were commanded to practice it. And so I appeal to Romans chapter 14, where Paul, writing to the church in chapter 14, verse 5, says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. And then skipping down to verse 10, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
So whether or not you actually practice a day of rest or a day of Sabbath, I don't know that that's the main point. But understanding what Sabbath is and what God provided for us and what he asks of us in this concept of Sabbath is super important. And as long as we are practicing and remembering what Sabbath is about, I think that's what's most important. Now, I'm not going to deny that as human beings, we should rest. Um, None of us is wired to go 24-7 all the time and never take time to rest. We should rest. But the Sabbath is not just about resting our physical bodies. As I said, this word Sabbath means to stop, to cease. We're introduced to the concept in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, you know in Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And in six days, he created everything. And then we turn the page to Genesis chapter 2. And in verse 2, it says, God finished on the seventh day the work that he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had made. In the Hebrew, this is actually kind of almost what appears to be a contradictory phrase. It's almost like God actually finished his work on the seventh day, but he also didn't work on the seventh day. So which was it? And there's a lot of scholarly debate about what that actually means. And I kind of think God did create something on the the seventh day. He created the seventh day. He created rest. He stopped. He ceased. And then it goes on to tell us he blessed that seventh day and he made it holy because on it he stopped. He rested from all the work that God had created to make. That word holy When we hear it, we've talked about this in the past, we think about religious things or church things or moral things, but the word holy literally just means to be set apart for a specific purpose, a specific use. And so the opposite of holy, when you think of some things are holy and some things are profane, we think profane is bad, sin. Not necessarily. Not everything that's unholy is sin. Holy means to be set apart. Unholy is to be common. There are holy vessels that were used in the the temple and in the worship of God, and then there were unholy vessels that you used at home. They weren't sinful vessels. The other six days of the week are not sinful days. Work is not sin. It's just common. And so this day that God set apart is different. It's unique. In six days... God created the world, and he said each day it was good. And then on the sixth day, he created us. He created man and woman, created human beings. And on that day, he said, it is very good. And then on the seventh day, God rested. And I always ask the question, why did he rest? I mean, I know he wasn't tired. I mean, I know God is all-powerful. He wasn't like, oh, I need to take a break. I know that he didn't exhaust his creativity, and he was like, well, I think that's it. I I got nothing else. (laughs) No, that's not who God is. And so some people, of course, will come up with this idea, well, God rested because he knew we would need to rest, and he was modeling for us this idea of rest. And while that could be, I don't know that that's what it is really is. When God stopped, he stopped because he was done with his creation. And the whole purpose of creating is so that creation can be. And it's as if God stopped so that his creation could be. There was nothing more God wanted to do. And he put within his creation this creative power to reproduce. And so he, it's as if God released it and said, be. Now, I'm in no way implying God took his hands off of creation and said, I'm just going to walk away from you because we know that the scripture says that it's in him we live and move and have our being and that he holds all things together by his powerful word. So God is always involved in his creation, but he rested, he stopped. He didn't try to control it. He didn't try to manipulate it. He didn't try to fix it. He, it, was, it was good, and he let it be. If you think in terms of an artist who's creating, who's creating a sculpture, who's creating a painting, there comes a point when it's just finished. It's done. You stop. 
And if you, if you take the chisel one more time or you take the paintbrush one more time and you try to overdo it, it's almost like you'll ruin it by over-creating. And this sense of Shabbat, this sense of Sabbath, I think is that idea that God stopped because he was done and he said it's very good and he's letting his creation go to create, to be, to exist. We think in terms of it was perfect. Adam and Eve lived in this perfect place, but the, the concept of perfection is kind of like a Western static thing. Um, there's no real concept of perfect in, in the Hebrew scripture or in the, um, in the Eastern thought. I mean, that's a, the idea of good is like dynamic. It's changing. It's, it's evolving. It's moving. I mean, God's word is living. It's active. And so this idea that we were seeking this perfect, I think sometimes is an illusion that we go after that we want to be careful not to go after. There's one more phrase before we go further with that. There's one more phrase that's missing in the seventh day. Have you ever noticed it? There was no evening and morning on the seventh day. Every single day, there's evening, there's morning. It's the first day. Evening and morning, second day. Evening and morning, third day. Evening and morning, fourth day. Evening and morning. It's good. It's good. Evening and morning. Seventh day. It's as if Sabbath is more than just a command to take a day off. It's as if God is inviting us into the way that his kingdom operates. It's like he's inviting us into this place of rest where, yes, we have work to do, where, yes, we have a calling, yes, there, but it's, it's like we have to know when to say enough. It's like we have to know when to stop. And the idea, even in the, the Ten Commandments, when we're told to keep the Sabbath day, we're not told to keep the Sabbath day, we're told to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember. It's almost like we're to remember who we are and who He is. He is God and I am not. I'm called to work, but I'm not called to hold it all together. He holds it all together. And if I never stop, if I just keep going and trying to produce and, and do and do and work and slave and, and chase after this, this perfect state, I'm actually doing something I was never called to do. There are two phrases that I want you to walk away with today. One is you are enough. You are enough. And two, you have enough. You have enough. To me, that's the idea behind the Sabbath. We have enough, and we are enough. In Psalm 46, verse 10, it's a very common verse. We know it. Stop striving and know that I am God. Or be still and know that I am God. Our culture has bought into what I would call the production narrative. I didn't coin the phrase, I borrowed it from someone else. So don't think me too wise. But we have this constant um, need, drive to produce something. It's like we've become slaves to this system of we have to keep going. We've believed the lie that we're not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not in shape enough. I'm not godly enough. And so we keep striving to be what we think we have to be. But the reality is God created us as human beings, not human doings. And it's not about what we do, it's what He created us to be. We are the crowning point of His creation. Everything was good until He created us, and then He said it was very good. He loves us. And in Him, in Christ Jesus, we have been bought, brought back to that same state that the creation was when He said it was very good. So in Christ Jesus, I'm enough. I'm enough. And if I don't stop regularly and remind myself I'm enough, I will drive myself crazy trying to be enough. If I don't stop and remind myself I have enough, 
The lie is, I don't have enough. I need more. I need this thing. I need that thing. I need more position. I need more power. I need more rights. I need more freedom. I need more. I need more of something. And it's always beyond our grasp. Because once we get the thing we thought we needed, then there's something more we need. And it's an illusion. We will never have enough. I mean, if you look back to Adam and Eve, they possessed everything in the world except one thing. And it wasn't enough. It will never be enough. In fact, if we don't stop and realize what I have is enough, I have enough. I will never have enough. If I don't believe the truth that I already have enough, I will never have enough. And that, that, that striving for more causes us to act all kinds of ways. We try to manipulate, we try to control, we try to, try to make things work out the way we want them to work out. And in the midst of all of it, God calls us to stop, to stop. And remember, he holds it all together. He holds us in the palm of his hand. He's always working for our good. He's going to finish the work that he started in us and in his creation. It's going to happen. And we can live in that place of rest. See, the narrative of perfection or striving for perfection can be exhausting. i got to have the perfect family. So we, we put up these fronts and we, we try to make the illusion that we, you know, we have it all together. I mean, our marriage is perfect. Our kids are perfect. So when our kids act up in the store, that's why we, look what you're doing to me. Why are you making me look bad? You're enough. I mean, I don't know how many times a parent has apologized in my presence. I'm sorry they acted that way. You don't have to apologize for that. You're enough. They're enough. Kids misbehave. I get it. But we constantly feel this need that, oh, I need to be better. I need to be perfect. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm not saying don't go to the gym. Don't work out. Don't try to live a healthier lifestyle. Absolutely. But if you're trying to arrive at a state of being out there and you're not already enough here, you'll never be enough out there. You remember the movie Cool Runnings? Are you you're young enough to remember that movie? Old enough to remember that movie? Cool Runnings. And you know they're the Jamaican bobsled team. They're gonna be they're, they're gonna win the gold medal. And and I love the conversation that he has with his coach. And he's like, you know, I want to have this gold medal. And he looks him in the eye and he says, if you're not enough without it. You'll never be enough with it. And that's what Sabbath is all about. It's not about what you do or what you don't do and whether you should work and whether it should be Saturday or Sunday. It's about knowing that I am enough and that I have enough. And I don't know that the Sabbath should be one day. I think the Sabbath should be every day. I think every day I need to stop and remind myself I'm enough. I have enough. I think my responses to coworkers would be different. I think my responses to my spouse and my kids would be different. I think my responses to the driver in front of me would be different. If I realized that I don't have to be something else, I can rest in him. As we talked about evening and morning, the first day, evening and morning, I don't know if you've ever picked that up in the Bible. We do morning and evening, right? I mean, the day begins in morning, and then, like, that's when the day starts. The day starts in the morning. But for the Hebrew, the day doesn't start in the morning. It starts in the evening. And that's pretty profound. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but for the Hebrew, the Sabbath starts at sundown, and every day actually starts at sundown. So the first thing the Hebrew does every single day is rest. Because my identity is not in what I do, it's in who I am. I'm his creation. And so I start by resting. And then from that place of rest, I work. There is so much wrapped up in the Sabbath that goes from Genesis 2 all the way to, I believe, Revelation chapter 22. And over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack it piece by piece by piece. But there's a phrase that um, I have picked up from one of my favorite authors about the Sabbath. And he says the Sabbath, this is, this is how he boils the Sabbath down for his family. He says this, we rest, we play, 
no works, God loves us. We rest, we play, no works, God loves us. He even tells the story that he doesn't make his bed on the Sabbath. Not because he, he considers it work. Um, in fact, it, he cringes every time he sees it. He's one of those that likes everything just so. And, but when he sees his bed unmade on the Sabbath day, it's a constant reminder that he's loved even when his life looks like that. You don't have to put all the boxes in, in order. You don't have to have the perfect Christmas or the perfect family or the perfect... Just rest. Yeah, strive to make your marriage better. Strive to make, be a better parent. Strive to, to be a, a more godly influence. Strive to, to make sure people know the, the, the message of the gospel. Strive, but do it from a place of rest, not from a place of striving. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, we know the first part of this passage, Ephesians 2.8 it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. There they are, those good works that we're prepared to do. And they're there as a masterpiece. Not to become a masterpiece but because you've already been made a masterpiece in Christ Jesus. And now you can do those works. And this should change everything. See, when I make a mistake, I don't have to cover up for my mistake or blame someone else for my mistake. I can just say, I made a mistake. I told a lie. That doesn't make me a liar. It makes me a child of God who made a mistake and told a lie. Oh, yeah. Because my identity is not in what I do. It's in who I've put my trust in. And the fear behind us is, well, Pastor Tom, if you tell people that, they'll just live however they want. No, they'll actually be free to live as a masterpiece. To do the works that he's actually prepared in advance for them to do. But when we tell people, you got to, God's in heaven, just looking for you when you do it wrong. And so we hide. We, when we make a mistake, it was a coworker. It was our, it was our kids. It was our, it was our spouse. It was someone else. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. Because we don't live in that place of rest, rest, stop, trust. Because here's the, here's the reality. Life will never be perfect, but it can always be good. It can always be good. And I wish I could sit here today and say, oh, follow me as I follow Jesus. No. When I, as I started to, to study Sabbath and I started to put all of this together, I mean, I already knew I don't Sabbath well. <laughs> I've already confessed to you, I'm Tom, I don't slow, I don't Sabbath. It's just who I am. Um, but then I became so painfully aware that it's, life is good even when the, dink, the sink is full of dishes. Anybody, anybody, anybody have my sickness? I mean, I just can't sit when there are dishes in the sink. But you know the funny thing about the Sabbath day? When the Jews had to practice Sabbath, if there were dishes in the sink, guess what? They'd be there on Saturday. Or, Saturday, or Sunday, I mean. They'd be there Sunday. Because the Sabbath came. It was time to stop. And as humans, we have to learn when it's time to stop. This is where helicopter, helicopter parenting comes in. Because we create our kids, and then we just have to let them be. At some point. I mean... They do need some training and guidance. Train them up in the way they should go. But sometimes, as parents, it's just time to let them make mistakes. We had an example of this in our own home just yesterday, and I kind of chuckled because I'm like, I want to use that as an illustration, and I forgot to ask, so I won't say who, but uh, two people in our house were working on a Lego project, and one had already done it, so they were helping the other, and the, they were like over-helping and someone pointed out that they were overhelping. So then the other person stopped talking and let them make a mistake. And then they fixed it. You know, it's sometimes okay to just make a mistake. It's sometimes okay to do it wrong. And to let our kids sometimes do it wrong. It doesn't make you a bad parent. 
Because your identity is not in how well-behaved your children are. It's in your Heavenly Father. It's in Him. We have got to learn when to say enough. When to stop. When to rest. It starts with surrender. I mean, because you're not enough, we're not enough without Christ Jesus. I purposely picked Ephesians chapter 2 because there is a movement in our world today that says, hey, celebrate who you are. You are enough. And I understand where that's coming from. You don't have to try to be something else, be who you are. And I get it. I love it. But without Christ, none of us is enough. He makes us enough. And in Christ Jesus, the scripture says we're enough. We have enough. And if I stop in the midst of the moment when I don't feel like I have enough or I don't feel like I'm enough and I just remind myself I'm enough and I have enough right now. And God, I, help, I need you to help me trust that you're at work even when I, I don't like where this is headed. I don't like what's going on. But I'm going to take your word for it and I'm going to stop. And I'm not going to slip into manipulation and I'm not going to slip into control and I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust. And over the next two weeks, we're going to continue to talk about what that looks like. How do we practice that? But for today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take just a couple minutes with me. And I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to recognize that you're enough. That you're enough. Some of you today are so... You're tired. Because you're trying to be something. And if you've put your faith in Christ Jesus today, I want you to know, your Heavenly Father looks at you and He doesn't see all of the imperfections and flaws and things you need to work on and you know all of the ways you didn't measure up this week and you could have done it better. He just sees you. The Scripture says He he rejoices over you with singing. You're enough. You're enough. And you have enough. You don't need to, to get more stuff. You don't need to get more reputation. You don't need to get more power, position. You don't need to keep jockeying. It's not about more education. You're enough. And in this moment, I just want you to rest for just a moment. If this is the only time you rest this week, I just pray that all week long, these phrases just keep reverberating in your ears. You're enough. You have enough. He's enough. In fact, He's more than enough. See, I don't know wherever you're going to go this week, and I don't know what you're going to face this week, but chances are you're going to find yourself in a situation where things don't go the way you had hoped, imagined, dreamed. Just stop. I mean, when you feel the tension rising, just stop. And remember that you're enough. That you have enough. And maybe that'll give you the power to apologize to someone for the way you just acted. Maybe it'll give you the power to stop talking and trying to convince someone or control someone or manipulate something and just stop. Maybe it'll keep you from buying something you don't need. I mean, heaven knows we've already got more than we need. But here's what I know. I know that in this room, there is tons of creative potential. I know that there is so many things that God has created for the people in this room and the people watching online to do. But I know that we will not be able to accomplish them well if we don't do them from the place of rest, where we're already enough. So Holy Spirit, I invite you today to take these words and 
and just put them deep in our hearts today. Father, I pray that over the next few weeks that you would teach us what it is to rest. Teach us how to live from a place of rest. Teach us when to say enough. Teach us that you're enough. Teach us that we're enough. That we have enough. Show us the things that we need to learn from your word, from rest, from Sabbath. Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Open our eyes to see the parts of your word that maybe we've read thousands of times but never really understood. That maybe we've heard over and over but never really applied to our lives. Help us. Help us to live from a place of rest as the masterpieces created anew in Christ Jesus. Before I close today, I just want to give you an opportunity if you're here. As I said, the only way we're enough is if, if we're in Christ Jesus. The scripture teaches us that every single one of us have rebelled against God. We've done our own thing. We've gone our own way. Adam and Eve in the garden didn't believe they were enough. They wanted to be like God, even though, oddly, they were created in His image. They wanted to have more, even though they had everything except one tree they could eat from. And because of that, every human being since has inherited that broken, fallen nature. And yet God, from the beginning, purposed in His plan that His Son would come to this earth and He would give Himself on our behalf so that we can be brought back into that perfect state. And all we have to do to be brought back into that state is to admit we've rebelled, admit we've gone our own way, believe that He became the sacrifice in our place, and commit to serve Him from that place of rest again. That's it. And so if you're in this room today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ in that way, today can be your day to do that. And I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, I encourage you to do it. Put your faith in Christ. And after the service today, I'm going to be over here on your right and my left. And if you've never made a commitment to follow Christ, I want to meet with you and I want to pray with you before you leave today. And so would you have the courage to meet me over there as people are leaving today? Would you come? Would you find me in that corner? And let's take a moment and let's make sure Let's make sure that you've made that step to follow after Christ so that you can know what it is to live from a place of rest. And so, Holy Spirit, for those that are wrestling with that decision, whether in this room or online today, give them the, the grace, the strength they need just to respond to you, to hear your voice and to respond. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today, and uh, I want to encourage you to stop at the table in the back. There's some information you can pick up. There are calendars, uh, information about Church Center. The offering baskets are back there as well. We encourage you to stop. Thank you for your faithfulness and giving, and uh, God bless you as you go today. I pray that this week would be a week of rest. God bless.